Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. I just want to add my voice to those that have already extended a happy Father's Day to you. If that title applies to you in any way, we just want to say again how grateful we are for the fathers and the grandfathers and the father figures in our lives. Uh, I'm one of many men in this church who is a better father and a better husband because of the examples of the men that I see here in this church who are uh, young and just getting started, maybe being fathers and being husbands, but also those who have many, many years of experience doing that. I just hope that you, again, if that title applies to you in any way, I hope you have a great and wonderful Father's Day and that you feel appreciated. I know today is a great day for our Father in Heaven. He is uh, rejoicing there along with those angels. Uh, last night, one of our own young people, uh, Miss Brianna Werner, was baptized into Christ. She was baptized at Impact. That's where about uh, 30 or 40 of our middle school students are this morning. And uh, they are, are worshiping God and going to Bible classes and, and doing a lot of fun things there. But uh, last night, Brianna was, was baptized into Christ. And I wanted to just kind of share that good news uh, with you. We're really excited for her. And hopefully in a few weeks, she'll be on the stage and receive a Bible. And you can kind of let her know how excited you are for her walk with Christ as well. Uh, she actually broke her foot on Friday, so it was not, we weren't even sure if she was going to be able to make it for the whole, uh, the whole weekend, but uh, thankfully God had some other things in store for her that that broken foot couldn't keep her from, so, so we're grateful for that as well. Uh, when you were a child, you probably learned at some point the words uh, that you see on the screen here. Would you say them with me? Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never touch me. When you were a kid and you said it, you probably sang it. You know, it has kind of a little sing-song uh, tune to that. When we learned that as children, our parents wanted to teach us the importance of having thick skin, right? I mean, the idea there is that, you know, some some bully or, or somebody says something to you and and so maybe you come to mom and dad with tears in your eyes you know and you're, you're talking about those words that really hurt and so the idea there is for for our parents they're trying to build up a resistance to that kind of mean-spirited bullying the kinds of things that happen in childhood and so we want our kids to know that hey they're just words and they they don't hurt right that's kind of the idea well whoever wrote that if it's a I don't know if it's called a nursery rhyme or an adage or whatever, but whoever wrote that, they may not have been reading their Bible. <laughs> because according to the Bible, according to the Bible, your words, my words, God's word, has tremendous power. It has, has tremendous power to build up and to encourage and to, to help someone along the way. But also, you know, those words have power to tear down and, and power to to destroy. And in God's word, when you see in Genesis 1, God creates. Do you remember how he creates? Yeah, through the spoken word. God said, let there be, and it was so. So when God speaks, when God has a word to say, that's incredibly powerful, right? But that's not all the Bible has to say about the power of our words. No, the Bible has a lot to say, in fact, about the power that is latent in my words and your words. Now, of course, we don't have the same power that God has, but how many times have you been able to use your words, or has someone been able to say a word to you that, again, you, it, it built you up? It was the right thing to say at the right time, and it just meant so much to you. And conversely, how many times have you been hurt deeply by the words someone said, either to you or about you, or 
How many times have you been the one who delivered those kinds of words that really cut deep and hurt? So today, as, as we continue this, this series that we've been in now for the past several weeks, as we talk about clean living and, and we think about what it means for us to live a life of faith and trust in Jesus in a world filled with toxic influences, it's really important that we take a week and talk about our language, talk about how we use our words, again, either to build up or to tear down. Those toxic words can be so destructive, but yet those words, when spoken in just the right tone or in the right way or with the right content, they can bring life, even eternal life. And that's the essence of what King Solomon says over in the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you want to, to look at what God has to say about godly speech, Proverbs is maybe the best place to start because there's, there's so much wisdom, there's so much good teaching about what godly speech sounds like, the content of godly speech. And so Proverbs is a, is a great place for us to begin today. And this morning I want to begin by looking at Proverbs 18. And the first part of that proverb, Pro, Proverbs 18 verse 21 you see it on the screen, you can turn there in your Bibles as well. It simply says this, the tongue has the power, the tongue has the power of life and death. Solomon recognizes what we know to be true, right? That the, the, the words we speak, our words can deliver either life or death. So if we had time, we could all share stories about this. We could talk about you know, the times in our lives when someone has said a word, and again, it was just the right thing. It was what we needed to hear at exactly the right time. So, you know, you could talk about the time when, when your coach pulled you aside and said how much he believed in you, how he wanted you to take the last shot, how he wanted you to have the ball in your hands right there as, as time was expiring. Or, or maybe there, there was a time when your boss told you that she was going to put you up for a promotion that she felt like you really deserved and she wanted you to know that. Or, or maybe there was a time when your grandparents set you down and they just said, you know, I, I want you to know how proud we are of you for what you've accomplished, yes, but just for who you are. Maybe you know, there's one of those kinds of moments in your life that you can go back to. I tried to do the math on this the other day. I think I've performed somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 weddings over the years. You kind of lose track after a while, right, Gary? You, you just so many weddings, though, that you perform, and, and my role is pretty simple. I stand right here, kind of dead center, and I get to see everything that happens, but it never fails in this moment where you have these two individuals who come into the ceremony, even from different places. The groom usually follows me out that door, right? And, and the bride, of course, comes down the center aisle. And that demonstrates how these two individuals are coming from different families and different experiences and different places, but they're coming to this same central meeting place. And the moment where it really happens is when? When they say those vows, and when they speak those words, I do, it's as if God takes those two separate people and creates something new and beautiful and holy, and they walk out the door, not as two individuals anymore, but as something new, as a singular unit because of the power of their words and their promises spoken before God Almighty. It's awesome. So we could talk about all day long this truth. You know, we have firsthand knowledge of what Solomon says here, what the Word of God says, right? That the tongue, our speech, has the power of life. But unfortunately, unfortunately, 
we also have firsthand knowledge of the second piece, this, this corollary piece here that the, wor- that the tongue, the speech that we use, it also holds the power of, of death, the power to hurt deeply. And so just as we might go through all the examples of the times where someone has said something at the right time in the right way, there are also those moments where someone said to you, you know, you'll never amount to anything. Or maybe there was a time when somebody said to you, I'm not sure I love you anymore. Or those countless times when someone has used their words to to insult us or to shame us or to mock us and to, to tear us down. Some of you today, you know full well the, the fear, and the hurt that's associated with certain words like, like cancer or the word inoperable or the words, there's been an accident. Unfortunately, we, we have firsthand knowledge of the second piece of this too, right? Solomon is dead on that our words have the power of either life or death. And here's the thing, those words can ring in our ears for a long, long time, right? I want to do a little experiment with you. I'm going to ask you to play along. All I need you to do is raise your hand, okay? So just just play along here. I want you to think about a time in your life when someone said something that was especially hurtful, okay? They could have said it to you. Maybe they said it about you, all right? But I want you to think of one moment in time when someone said something that was especially hurtful about your appearance or about your intelligence or your work ethic or I don't know what it would be. But just think of that one thing, all right? You have it in your mind. There's one time that someone said something that was especially hurtful, okay? Now, would you raise your hand if that comment was spoken to you at least one year ago? If it was a year ago or older, would you raise your hand? Raise them up high. Come on, this is where you play along, okay? We can raise our hands in church. Someone had that, st- that comment that they, uh, keep them up just for a second, all right? Because I want everybody to kind of see the comment that someone said to you was at least a year old, all right? Hold your hands up. Just look around, okay? There are a lot of hands being raised in here. That, that means for the past 12 months, at least 12 months, those words have been ringing in your ears when you come back to them, right? Uh, would you raise your hand if that comment was spoken to you or about you at least five years ago? Was it five years ago that someone made that comment or longer? Okay. What about 10 years ago? I wonder how high we can go here. 10 years ago? Some of you are like me. I'm more liable to remember something that happened 10 years ago than something that happened this morning, right? Don't ask me what I had for breakfast, but I might remember something from 10 years ago, right? Um, What about, and I know we're getting to a point where you don't want to raise your hand because it kind of reveals how old you are, all right? 20 years? Can you remember something from 20 years? 30? Gary says keep going. All right. I'm going I'm to swing for the fences. All right. 50 years. Can you remember something from 50 years ago? Look around, guys. Look, especially those of you who are younger. Look. These are comments that were hurtful then. And maybe the sting isn't quite as acute. Maybe it doesn't hurt as much anymore. I hope so. But you still remember it, right? You still remember that hurtful thing because those words have been ringing in your ears because they have the power of life or death. And, and we can also do that. I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one, okay? But, but think of not just words that were spoken about you, but think about words that have been spoken by you. 
So now flip the script and think about a time when you were the one who said something. Think of something you've said that you regret. Something you said about someone that you wish you could take back, but you can't. And again, that same little experiment. How long ago was it? Was it a year ago? Five years? Ten years? Or twenty years? Those words have the power to ring in our ears, right? But what's true for the negative examples is also true of the positive ones. That's good news, right? So what's true of of the, the hurtful things that I've said or that someone has said about me, what's true about those is also true of the positive things, of the encouraging things, the affirming things. So again, I won't ask you to show your hands on this, but think of something, think of a time when someone said just the right thing to you, when someone had an affirming word for you, an encouraging word for you, and you took it to heart. You know, in the scriptures, it talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and it says that, that she stored up all these things in her heart about Jesus. You remember that? So think of a time when you were storing something up where you knew, wow, I just want to drink in deeply because that word is really special. Maybe somebody wrote you a card. Maybe it's something they said to you, you know, verbally. But if you think about the power of those words to ring in your ears as well, I, I would hope that those words were spoken a year ago or five years ago or 50 years ago and that you'd be able to recall those as well because, again, what God's word has to say for us is that the tongue, that the speech, our language, it holds incredible power. Have you ever wondered why it's so easy for us to remember the negative? Why is it so easy for me to recall the things that were said about me or the things I said that I really regret? Why is it so easy for me to go there? Why do I remember those more than maybe the, the compliments, more than the, the good things? Well, social psychologists say that we're wired to, to receive negativity much more strongly than we are to receive positivity. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's a, kind of the classic way of demonstrating it. If you show up to an event, okay, and all your friends are there, and one friend compliments you on your, on your appearance, okay, he or she says, wow, you look great, you know, that, that dress looks great, or I love your shoes, or I love your hair, or, you know, whatever they would say to compliment you. They say, man, you just look really great. So you have that experience, and then, you know, you walk across the room, and, and a different friend doesn't compliment you on your appearance, but instead is critical, and then maybe it's a friend, it'd have to be a really close friend to do this, but they would say, like, you left the house dressed like that? You know, like, what were you thinking when you were, you know, it'd have to be somebody really close to you to kind of say that, because that's really rude, but somebody who's really critical of your appearance. Now, which of those two is going to ring in your ears longer? If you're like most people, you know, the compliment might stick with you for a while, and maybe, you know, if you hear that one first, you might be feeling pretty good until you come over here. And you talk to this person, and the next time you're in your closet, right, the next time you go to pick out those shoes, or that shirt, or that belt, or whatever it was that they were like critical of, you're going to remember that. Because most of us are wired to receive that negative statement much more strongly than we are to receive the positive. Which is why it's all the more important for us in a series on clean living to talk about the power of positive, and not even positive, godly speech that is encouraging and uplifting and building up in the way that the New Testament tells us to. You know, these same social psychologists say that they, they try to come up with a ratio. It seems like a scientific thing to do, right? So how many positive statements do you need to hear to counterbalance the one negative? As if all comments are equal, right? And so some say it's a five to one ratio. For every, you know, one negative thing you hear, you need to hear five really positive ones. Others are like way less optimistic. They say it's more like 17 to 1, the ratio. I don't know what it is, but I know that every one of us comes in today with the baggage 
right, of some toxic words that have been said about us, that have been said, said toward us, words about us, but also we bear those scars of the things that we've said about others. And so today, I'd like for us to think about those two applications of our speech. As we think about what it means for us to, have, to, to live clean lives, as we think about this prayer that we're praying all summer long from Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, let's think about those two applications, all right? Words spoken by us and words spoken about us. So as we think about the first of those, words spoken by us, I want you to hear today some words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, all right? Feel free to turn there, Matthew 12. Uh, you'll see these, these words on the screen as well, but there's a lot of good material there in Matthew 12, and I encourage you to read through that uh, later on this afternoon. But for our purposes today, I just really want to highlight these two, these two places in Matthew 12, okay? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, and also verse 36, all right? Here's what the word says. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Come back to that in a minute. Verse 36, uh, but I tell you that men will have to give account, listen to this, they'll have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. You can see there in the context of Matthew 12 that Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. And in particular, uh, the Pharisees are they're consistently denying who Jesus is. Okay? They are consistently attributing his work, not to the hand of God the Father, but instead they say, this guy must be doing the work of Satan. He's casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub. Okay? So they don't see Jesus for who he is. They don't see him as the one bringing the kingdom of God into fullness. No. In fact, they see him operating on a totally different agenda, a totally different kingdom. And of course, they're wrong. Okay? And so Jesus basically says that their speech, when they accuse Jesus of all this, Jesus says that that is a window of insight into their soul, into their hearts. Basically, he's saying their heart is hardened. They're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, okay, by denying who Jesus is, and that indicates something about their hearts. So that's kind of the first part that, that Jesus is getting at there in verse uh, 34. So from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. So again, what Jesus is basically saying is that a person's speech is a window into their soul. If you want to know what, what's going on in a person's soul, in a person's heart, the speech, their speech life, their pattern of speech is a great place to start. For From the overflow of the heart, we talked about it a few weeks ago, the heart is not just the center of romance for Jesus. Uh, it, he's not influenced by Hallmark the way we are when we think of the heart. The heart, in the, in the Bible, the heart is all about the center of who you are, your, your very being, okay, and your core. So Jesus says, from the overflow of your core and who you are, the mouth speaks. So there's this conduit. There's this flow of you know, inputs and outputs, and what's in your heart will eventually manifest itself through your speech. So the question is, what do people see? What do people hear through my speech? What does my speech say about the condition of my soul? Do people know that I'm a follower of Jesus because of my speech life? And if I'm reading Jesus correctly, it seems fair to say that that may be one of the best ways for people to know who I follow. That might mean standing on a street corner and preaching and having a sandwich board and a Bible. You know, it might be that. But for most of us, probably not. It's probably more ordinary. It's probably more just regular, just ordinary sort of life. Do people, can people sense a, a degree of, of peace, joy, 
gratitude through my speech life that comes from my relationship with God through Christ? So those are some good questions just to kind of chew on as I think about my, my speech life. But then in verse 36, okay, this is where what, what Jesus says in, in this verse uh, should give us a little bit of pause. Because what he says in verse 36 is that, uh, is that we will give an account. On the day of judgment, we will give an account for every careless word. Maybe your Bible says idle word. Uh, every unprofitable word that we speak. Does that get your attention the way it gets my attention? I mean, when I hear Jesus say that, I kind of stop and I think, okay, I need to do a little bit of reflecting on the words that I say. Because there, there, there's, there's an accounting that is, that is coming. Uh, literally, he says that we give an account for every careless word. That word means, means unemployed. It means unprofitable. It means idle. So, so it's, it's about any kind of language that isn't deployed in proper service to the kingdom of God. Does that mean that I'm, I'm in trouble with Jesus just because my friends and I like to talk about the ball game? I don't think that's what he's getting at. I hope not, right? But at the same time, it calls me to think about, okay, how do I use my speech? Is my speech used in profitable ways in light of the kingdom of God? Or is it used in ways that profit a different kingdom? Maybe the, the kingdom that the Pharisees accused Jesus of serving. So I think what Jesus says here is intended for us. I think what he wants us to do is, is to think, maybe the next time we're tempted to pass on that little bit of gossip. Is this profitable for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of Beelzebub? Or maybe to, to kind of hit the pause button the next time I'm tempted to kind of tear somebody down or just, you know, get enraged and fly off the handle and say whatever comes to mind. You know, some of us are really, really good at, at that. Maybe we need to hear these words of Jesus as, you know, a, a caution against that because he says there will be an accounting for those kinds of unprofitable words, unprofitable, unproductive from a kingdom point of view. So if our words hold the power of both life and, and death, then man, we have a choice to make, don't we? Repeatedly through this series, I want us to come back to that idea of choice because God has empowered us to make choices. He wants us to make those godly ones, but he won't make them for us. The question is, which one will we choose? So we will use our language to, to either build up, our speech holds the power of life, and so we can choose that, or we can choose to deploy our language in a different way, in a way that brings death. Another word from Proverbs, Proverbs 12, uh, it says basically what we've already said here, that, that reckless words pierce like a sword. We know that because we just did our little experiment where we raised our hands, and for some of us, there, there were reckless words that pierced like a sword 50 years ago, and we still can call them to mind, and, and maybe we're not bleeding out anymore, but the scar is still there, right? So we know that to be true, reckless words pierce like a sword, but I want you to hear, I want you to hear what seems to be the, the primary point here primary point is here in the second part but the tongue listen to this the tongue of the wise brings healing what is wisdom in the book of proverbs well wisdom in the book of proverbs is the one who fears the lord so fear and reverence for god the one who is wise is the one who fears god so basically godly speech the speech of the one who fears the lord will bring healing will we choose that is the question a lot of you saw the news uh, this past week on Wednesday. There was a really a gutless coward. Uh, he was a gunman who who chose to um, to gun down or attempt to gun down several of our GOP 
uh, lawmakers who were practicing baseball at a, a baseball field in, uh, in Alexandria, Virginia on Wednesday morning. A lot of you saw the news, you watched that because um, our own representative, uh, Congressman Mo Brooks, was involved in that uh, shooting. He was there, he was present. Uh, after the smoke kind of cleared, Mo was one of the ones who acted quickly to, to help, um, actually used a belt to form a tourniquet and help save some lives. I mean, it's just a, 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 a tragic story, but also one that hits a little close to home because of our, our connections here. Uh, Wednesday morning, uh, my, my family and I, we were actually, we spent last week on vacation in Washington, D.C., uh, had, a, had a great time on the, on the way home. Our, our kids said, this is the best vacation we've ever had. So it was, made it all worth it. But one of the highlights was getting to spend time with the Brooks family. Uh, on, on Tuesday, we had a chance to, to visit with uh, Martha, Mo's wife. She gave us a tour of the Capitol. And actually, our kids got to go down on the, on the House floor and cast a few votes. And, you know, spent a little time with Mo. And so it was, it was great. But it also made the events of Wednesday all the more uh, surreal. Wednesday morning, our family was, was set to meet Miss Martha right outside the White House. She was going to join us Wednesday morning for our White House tour. So she just gave us the tour of the Capitol, and then she was going to join us Wednesday morning. She was a few minutes late, and she walked up, and she, she apologized for being late. And we said, that's fine, you know. And she said, no, you need to understand, there was an incident this morning. And she explained what had happened with the shooting, and it wasn't even in the news yet. It was about 30 minutes from the, the, the time of the attack when she met us and was, was telling us all this. And we said, uh, you know, is Mo okay? Is everybody okay? And she said, I think so. I just talked with him. Everything seems fine. Now he's talking to the police. And, um, and we said, well, you need to be somewhere else. You know, go. We totally understand, you know. And she said, no, I, I said I would, would give you the, the White House tour, so I'm here. And it's, it'll, in fact, it'll be a good distraction for me. And she kind of shrugged and, and said, what do you do when somebody tries to shoot your husband? You know, I, there's no script for this, so let's, let's go on the tour. She was great. Co her composure strength. I mean, I, I try to put myself there. I, I, I can't imagine, you know. So, so this, this public servant and, and his wife, you know, we got to meet them and, and talk with them, and so she just continues to give us this, this White House tour as if nothing happened, and, and as we went through the East Room of the White House, one of the, I don't know, Secret Service guys or the guards, I don't know if he's Secret Service, but he, he's on station there. We walk through, and, and he sees her, he actually leaves his, his post for a second, takes four or five steps, and puts a hand on Martha. He says, ma'am, are you okay? And she, she kind of stepped back at first. She wasn't sure what he meant. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, you know. And he was doing that because he recognized her. He said, no, no, I, I heard about your husband this morning. I'm hoping that he's okay. I'm praying that you're okay too. How are you? And it was the only crack in her composure. It was that human moment where this Secret Service guard reaches across the line and touches her and says, are you okay? And his words, I have to think, brought a little bit of healing to this woman who just a few moments ago had received a call that had to just rock her to the core. Our words, right? have the power of life and death. Our words have the power to heal. And not only that, according to God's word, our, our words have the power to, to build up. We talked about this passage a few weeks ago, and we return to it again, Ephesians 4. No corrupting talk, no, but instead, 
that which is productive, that's what, that, that which is useful for building up. That's good, godly kind of speech. And that's the, the speech pattern that the New Testament calls us to. And so that kind of speech pattern for, for building up, bringing healing. I, I, it's Father's Day, and so if you'll give me just a minute, I want to just say a, a word quickly to the dads here, uh, just, you know, father to father. Uh, for years, I've been my oldest son's baseball coach, starting in t-ball and then coach pitch and then in a kid pitch and all the way up through this past year. I finally, you know, kind of retired as a coach and let somebody else have a turn. But for years, this time of year, as soon as the baseball season was over, we'd have the big end-of-the-year party, you know, and so we'd go to Chuck E. Cheese or we'd go to somebody's pool and uh, we'd, have, we'd have trophies to give out. And, uh, you know, I think some of the kids, they only played ball to make it to the end of the year party. You know, they wanted some pizza and, and the moms wanted the trophies. You know, so you had to have the trophies. But I thought, you know, rather than just like doling out the trophies, that's kind of lame, right? I thought, let's make, let's make this a little more ceremonial. And so I would, I would call each little boy up in front, of his, in front of his peers, you know. And at first they're really timid and they didn't want to do it. Because, you know, most people don't want to stand up in front of their peers. But, but I would take each one and I would try and find one thing to praise him for. So I would say, okay, this is Javon. All right, and Javon played second base for us all year long. And Javon gets the Dirty Uniform Award. Because there was nobody that was more willing to get down in the dirt and field the baseball than Javon. Let's give it up for him. Yeah, Javon. And all right, now this is Joseph. And Joseph gets the teammate award because there's nobody who cared more about your success, maybe other than your mom and dad, there's nobody on this team that cared more about your success than Joseph because he is always willing to cheer you on from the dugout. So this is Joseph. He gets the teammate award. Yeah, yeah. And so watching these little boys every single time, they come up and they're kind of nervous and like, you know, what are you going to do to me or what are you going to say? But whenever you would start to, to say those encouraging, affirming words about them, it was like they would just swell up, you know? They would be grinning from ear to ear, and the buttons would almost be bursting off their shirts, you know. And I realized, for some of those boys, it, it was probably the first time that they ever had an adult male praise them for something that they had done in public. Sometimes it was because they didn't have a father. Sometimes it was because their father wasn't around. But I guess I, I say that to you, especially today on Father's Day, guys, to say that we have such an opportunity to speak words of encouragement and affirmation over our children. And let's not farm that out to anybody else. Because if, if, if our, especially our sons, if they never hear us say how proud of them we are, we're creating a hole in their souls that will impact their relationship with God. So our words have the power of life and death, and especially as fathers. Let's take that seriously. So that, those are things that we want to say, about the words that we use, all right? Words by us. But now, as we, as we transition, just kind of the last piece here, let's think for a minute about words not by us, but words that people say about us. Because those can be especially hurtful. Sometimes we live with regret of the things that we've said, but a lot of times we live with pain over the things that people have said about us. And if you're especially susceptible to that, I want you to hear this, because this is kind of a, like a bedrock principle for us on that we have no control over what other people say right you can't control what anybody says you can't you just don't have that power but you always 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 have the power to control what you believe what you think remember back two weeks ago we talked about the battlefield for the mind and we read second corinthians 10 and how if we are in christ then we are empowered 
in fact, commanded to take every thought captive that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So that means if Jesus is the Lord of my life, he's also the Lord of my thought life. And so that battle kind of plays out. But whenever somebody says something toxic about me, when someone says something especially hurtful about you or me, we have a choice to make there as well. We have to decide, okay, am I going to accept that as truth or will I disregard that as trash? It all comes down to what you are going to choose to believe. And so, as, as, as we think about this, you can put it another way. Uh, if someone has that hurtful thing that they say about you, according to Jesus, they'll have to give an account for that. That's on them, okay? But if we give those words a hearing in our minds, if we turn those over and over, if we begin to accept those words as truth, okay, and we, and we counter what God has to say about who we are, and we give more of a hearing to what somebody else has said about us, then guess what? Who's at fault for that? That's my fault. That's your fault. For giving a hearing to those words that are untrue. Because the more we do that, the more we begin to believe those words. If we begin to believe those words, then we begin to talk negatively about ourselves. If somebody has ever told you, yeah, you'll never amount to anything, and you begin to believe that, you begin to say that to yourself, I want you to know this as well. That kind of negative self-talk, you say, yeah, I guess I never will amount to much of anything. Negative self-talk, it's disobedience to Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus says you should love your neighbor as yourself, right? A lot of us, we interpret that as meaning we should love our neighbor more than ourselves. But that's not what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. It implies a certain sense of love for yourself. Treating yourself with fairness and dignity and love. And when you subscribe to that negative self-talk, if you have read the press clippings that are negative and you subscribe to that and you say, okay, yeah, that's who I am. I really am, you know, worthless or this or that. You're being disobedient to Jesus because you're not loving yourself the way he wants you to love yourself. The way we counter all of that trash, the best way I know how, is to continue to consume the words of truth that are found in God's word. And I want to close just with one final word from Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 11. To demonstrate the power of our words, Solomon says, a word aptly spoken. Again, the word chosen at just the right time and said in just the right way. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What does that mean? It means that those words are, are distinctive, right? It means that they, they stand out from the crowd. This is... Um, one of the most important things that I've ever kept. <laughs> uh, I've shown some of you this before. This is uh, an apple. It's a cardboard cutout of an apple, I guess, that's been laminated, so technically, uh, to be honest with you. But it is, uh, it is an apple that I got from my youth minister in 1991. Uh, that makes this apple about 26 years old, right? At uh, one of our retreats uh, when I was in the youth group, uh, we read this verse, okay, a, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And then our youth minister brought a basket out and set it in the middle of the floor, and it was filled with these little cardboard cutouts of apples. And he said the idea here was for us to live out this verse. So you come up and you grab an apple and you, you give it to one of your friends, but you have to say something, you know, nice about them, something meaningful. And so, you know, normally, especially teenagers, you start off and it's pretty surface level, you know. So I might go up and grab one and say, right, I'm going to give this apple to Lee Milam because uh, he sat with me at lunch. You know, you're cool, man. And you hand it to Lee. And so you start, start off pretty surface level. But, but then there's usually like that one girl who goes, 
you know, and youth group, you know how this works, right? So there's like this one girl who goes and she starts, you know, kind of crying and like, you're my best friend and I love you. And, you know, so like then we, we break through, we have a barrier breakthrough. And then like the next 30 or 40 minutes, it's like really rich, awesome things are being said. And so we had one of those breakthroughs and, and my youth minister took an apple and he gave it to me. And I'm not going to tell you what he said because it's not the point, okay? But the point is that what he said to me made such a difference in my life. It absolutely did. And I know that to be true because I can remember 26 years later some of the things he said to me. And it very much was like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. And so today, as we leave this place, Maybe there's a word that's on your heart that needs to be spoken. Maybe it's a word like, I love you, or I believe in you, or, or I see this in you. It can make all the difference. Maybe it's a word of, I'm sorry. Maybe there's somebody you need to reconcile with. Maybe there's some things going on that, you know, you, you want to make right today. Maybe it's just something as simple as, it is Father's Day. Most dads I know, if you want to make his day today, if you just said thanks, Thank you for everything you've done. It didn't have to be anything more than that. Most dads I know, that's, I'm good, right? <laughs> that's all it might take. And today, maybe the words that you need to speak more than any other, those words that Brianna spoke last night, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and I want to give him my life. I can't think of any better way to spend Father's Day than to spend it in the arms of your Father in Heaven who, who's longing to hear those words. Whatever the case, I hope that you'll know that your words have tremendous power to bring life, but also to bring death. And as people who follow Jesus, let's use those words to bring him glory and honor. Amen. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation together.